Welcome back, audience. This is the Only You Podcast, and this is your host, Lo Jackson. And today I'm going to be going over a book like I do normally in this podcast because I am finding that there are a lot of informational books out there that people don't realize they need to be reading um, just to learn and to grow and to develop your abilities more to being more intelligent than you ever were, honestly. And I hope that everybody will pick up this book and check it out. Um, I'm doing a, uh, kind of a controversial book today. I'm sure a lot of people, maybe they won't appreciate it, but maybe they will. I don't know. But once I read it, it made me have so many different thoughts and so many wild ideas about my country. And, um, I understand why some of the people in my government now are considered socialist or they have social beliefs. And I was always taught, you know, that socialism was wrong. Communism was wrong. Um, and because my government is a democracy, which is the second longing, excuse me, the second longest running democracy in history, Rome being the first of 538 years. Um, and this book is called The Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx and Frederick Engels. Um, I feel like I wanted to do this book today because I, like I said earlier, I just had so many different um uh, base points that it just was mind-blowing to me that um, these things were out there for me to read and I had no idea that I should be reading them. I didn't know that um, Karl Marx was actually born in Trier, Germany. Marx studied law and philosophy at the universities of Bonn and Berlin. He married German theat theatric critic and political activist Jenny von Westphalen in 1843. Due to his uh, political publications, Marx became stateless and lived in exile with his wife and children in London for decades, where he continued to develop his thought in collaboration with German philosopher Frederick Engels and publish his writings, researching in the British Museum reading room. Uh, Marx's critical theory about society, economics, and politics collectively understood as Marxism hold the human societies developed through class conflict. In the capitalist mode of production, this manifests itself in the conflict between the ruling classes known as the uh, bourgeoisie that control means of production and working classes known as the proletariat, which the proletariat word it's a noun, and it actually, um, I believe that word is from, it's Roman-based, I believe. I could, I, I could be wrong. I, I haven't uh, done a lot of uh, studying on that, but I do believe that I am on the right path. Thank you guys for listening, and uh, Frederick Engels developed what is known as Marxism together with Karl Marx. In 1845, Engels published The Condition of the Working Class in England based on personal observations and research in England cities. In 1848, Engels co-authored The Communist Manifesto with Karl Marx, and that's the book I'm going to read to you a little bit today just to give you an idea what kind of stuff is in there and how wild. I'm telling you guys, 
when I read this to you, you're going to be able to connect the dots of how they have literally reiterated socialism and communism into the United States after JFK was shot, you know, and that started with Lyndon B. Johnson and also even before that with FDR and Social Security. I mean, and it's and it's interesting, and this book tells you all kinds of different, like how, you know, socialists are connected to communists because community and social problems go hand in hand and that's why these theories were made up and that's why these people um actually you know came up with this you know the the communist manifesto um unfortunately uh Ingalls died on august 5th 1895 at age 74 Ingalls died of uh laryngitis cancer in london following cremation his ashes were scattered off beachy head near Eastbourne, and uh, thank you guys for listening. Uh, I wanted to tell you about Marx again. Marx and uh, von Westphalen had seven children together, and that's his wife, remember, and they were in exile in London, but partly owning to the poor conditions in which they lived was uh, in London, only three survived to adulthood of their children, unfortunately, and that's a really sad case there, you know. According to his son-in-law, Paul Lafargue, Marx was a loving father. In 1962, there were allegations that Marx fathered a son, Freddie, out of wedlock by his housekeeper, Helen DeMuth, but the claim is disputed for lack of documented evidence. Uh, Marx frequently used pseudonyms, often went renting a house, a flat, apparently to make it harder for the authorities to track him down. Yeah, because, you know, I think that maybe they were like, um, they were in the U.S. in uh, London back then, you know, like, you know, how they were, you know, I don't know. I can't I remember that one. Um, Jane Fonda was considered, I think, like a communist or, or she believed in that stuff. You know, she believed in them. So anyways, I want to go on and I'm going to start reading um, this part of the Communist Manifesto just so you guys can have an idea how wild and how brilliant you know, some people's minds really are and how they were outside of the United States and they could see what was going on on other parts of the world with their governments, their people. They could see how our military strong arm of the United States rose up out of nowhere and they helped and how all this came together to harm these countries that had lived by this law of communism for so long. And thank you guys for listening. This is Borgesy and the Proletarians. The history of all hitherto, excuse me, the history of all hitherto existing societies and the history of class struggles. Freeman and slave, patrician and plebeian, lord and serf, guildmaster and journeyman, and a word, oppressor and oppressed stood in constant opposition to one another, carried on an uninterrupted, now hidden, now open fight, a fight that each time ended either in a revolutionary reconstruction of society at large or in the common ruin of the contending classes. In the earlier epochs of history, we find almost everywhere a complicated arrangement of society into various orders, a manifold gradient gradation of social rank. In ancient Rome, we have patricians, knights, 
plebeians, slaves. In the Middle Ages, feudal lords, vassals, gilded masters, journeymen, apprentices, serfs. And almost all of these classes, again, subordinate gradations. The modern Borgesis society that has sprouted from the ruins of feudal society has not done away with class antagonisms. It has but established new classes, new conditions of oppression, new forms of struggle and peace of the one old. Our epoch, the epoch of the Borgesi, opposes... Oh, excuse me, everybody. I'm sorry. The Borgesi is the middle class. I should have explained that earlier. The proletariat is the working lower class. I'm back to the book. Sorry about that, guys. It has but established new classes, new conditions of oppression, new forms of struggle in place of the old ones. Our epoch, the epoch, the epoch of the Borgesi, possesses, however, this distinctive feature. It has simplified the class antagonisms. Society as a whole is more and more splitting up into two great hostile camps, into two great classes, directly facing each other, Borgesi and proletariat. From the serfs of the Middle Ages sprang the charted burgers of the earliest towns, and that's B-U-R-G-H-E-R-S. From these burgesses, the first elements of the Borgesi were developed. The discovery of America, the rounding of the Cape, opened up fresh ground for the rising Borgesi. The East Indian and Chinese markets, the colonization of America, trade. See, and can you see why America was like, whoa, this is a direct attack when this book came out? And I can see that because they're, listen, let me read on. The colonization of America, trade with the colonies, the increase in the means of exchange and in commodities generally, gave to commerce, to navigation, to industry, an impulse never before known. See there? Because America, Henry Ford, um, you know, uh, Alexander Graham Bell, Edison, all these people created an the Industrial Revolution. They were all a part of it. And... The, the impulse spread across the globe, everybody, and that's what this is pretty much saying in my eyes. And if I'm wrong, please feel free to email me and tell me that I was my uh, reading comprehension skills are not correct. Because I am following here, and that's what I'm gathering from this. Um, an impulse never before known, and thereby to the revolutionary element and the totter, tottering feudal society, a rapid development the feudal system of industry under which, which industrial production was monopolized by closed guilds now no longer sufficed for the growing wants of the new markets the manufacturing system took its place the guild masters were pushed on one side by the manufacturing middle class division of labor between the different corporate guilds vanished in the face of division of labor in each single workshop Meantime, the markets kept ever growing, the, the demand ever rising. Even manufacture no stronger sufficed. Thereupon, steam and machinery revolutionized industrial production. The place of manufacture was taken by the giant, modern industry. 
the place of the industrial middle class by industrial millionaires, the leaders of whole industrial armies, the modern bourgeoisies. Modern industry has established the world market for which the discovery of America paved the way. This market has given an immense development to commerce, to navigation, to communication by land. The development has, in its time, reacted on the extension of industry and in appropriation as industry, commerce, navigation, railways extended. In the same proportion, the bourgeoisie developed, remember, bourgeoisie is the middle class, developed, increased its capital, and pushed into the background every class handed down from the Middle Ages. We see, therefore, see now these guys are on the outside of the United States looking in, and that's where they started developing these ideas and these philosophies. And that's why people hated their guts, because they couldn't believe it. Now that time has drug on, oh, oh yeah, I can definitely see how things have gone, because I come from a poor poor class and a middle class family you know each step in the development of the bourgeoisie was accompanied by a corresponding political advantage of the class and we're, we're dealing right now with that in the united states with globalism democrat republican libertarian and oppressed class under the sway of feudal nobility an armed and self-governing association in the medieval commune here, independent urban republic, as in Italy and Germany, their taxable third estate of the monarchy, as in France. Afterwards, in the period of manufacturer prop, serving neither the semi-feudal or the absolute monarchy as a counterpoised against the nobility and, in fact, cornerstone of the great monarchies in general, the bourgeoisie has at last since the establishment of modern industry and of the world market conquered for itself in the modern representative state exclusive political sway the ex, uh, excuse me the executive of the modern state is but a committee for managing the common affairs of the whole bourgeoisie the bourgeoisie historically has played a most revolutionary part. The bourgeoisie, wherever, remember that's the middle class, wherever it has got the upper hand has put an end to all feudal patriarchal idolatical relations. It has pitlessly torn asunder the motley feudal ties that bound man to his natural superiors and has left remaining no other nexus between man and man than naked self-interest than callous cash payment. Is that not the truth? It has drowned the most heavenly ecstasies of religious fever, of chivalrous enthusiasm, of Philistine sentimentalism in the icy water of the egotistical calculation. It has resolved personal worth into exchange value, and in place of the numberless and indefeasible Chartered Freedoms has set up the single unconscionable freedom, free trade. See there? NAFTA, free trade, right there. And one word for exploitation, veiled by religious and political illusions, naked, shameless, direct, brutal exploitation. The Borgesy has stripped of its halo every occupation hitherto honored and looked up to with 
re- reverent awe. It was converted the physician. Oh, excuse me. It has converted the physician, the lawyer, the priest, the poet, the man of science into its paid wage labors. The Borgesy has torn away from the family itself sentimental veil and has reduced the family relation to a mere money relation. And I find that to be true in the U.S., unfortunately. And maybe maybe some of you don't agree with me. But I do believe that they have torn the family apart. I mean, look at, um, I always tell you guys about LBJ, the Great Society. He made welfare, in which welfare, welfare empowered the woman to be mom, which you'll see, you know, men now that were raised by single moms saying, oh yeah, my mom had to be the dad and the mom. Oh no, sonny boy, your daddy was the government. They were the one paying the way and making sure that your father was pushed out of the picture that you became, that you're, you're honestly, and I, and I truly do believe that, you as a child became a mere money relation at that point, and your government did that to you. The Borgesy has disclosed how it came to pass that the brutal display of vigor in the Middle Ages, which reactionists so much admire, found its fitting uh, complement in the most slothful uh, indolescent. It has been the first to show what man's activity can bring about. It has accompanied wonders far surpassing Egyptian pyramids, Roman aqueducts, and Gothic cathedrals. It has conducted expeditions that put in the shade all former exoduses of nations and crusaders. The Borgesy cannot exist without constantly revolutionizing the instruments of production and thereby the relations of production with them, the whole relation of society. And I do feel like the men and women of America are getting beat down to the point where now you got quietly quitting people or quietly walking away in the workplace because they realize that these corporations have made so much money on their ancestors' backs here in America, and we've only been here for 300 years But we've gotten to the point that this industry has whittled us the hell down. And we're understanding that the government and the schools have now stepped in, taken control of the parents, and made the children the sole decision makers in America right now. And that it's you're no longer able to discipline your kids here. You're no longer able to do this because the government's in control. You can't do that because daddy's not in the picture. Daddy ain't going to rise up and do nothing. Daddy's kind of thinking that maybe he's bisexual now or he maybe he's going to have a, you know, a sex change or he's you know because I mean the more you're pushed into feminism, the more you become a female. And you know, we all know that scientists can do sex changes on men and women now and that that's the way the world is turning and that's the way that things are seeming to go for us. Because we now are letting communism run free and socialism run free because we've introduced it into our governments and people out there have read the Communist Manifesto and decided that, oh, well, huh, they're onto something here. You know, but I feel like, uh, uh, they, well, in reality, you know, the, the, the Manifesto was uh, Karl Marx and Engels hoping to engage their audience in the revolutionary cause of the com- uh, uh, of communists. It was a political rally cry for commun- the communist movement in Europe. And the, the main argument in the manifesto is that 
Creating one class of people would end the problem of continuous class struggles and cycles of revolution between the bourgeoisie and the proletariat classes, which is the middle class and the lower class, which never led to any type of reform. And that's why our government preaches to us, hey, communism does not work. But, you know, we still use types of socialism in our government. I mean, I'm, I've said a couple of them, but there's way more things that have been created that are socialists that have actually hurt our people more than we know because this is a money production uh, country. And that's why, you know, America has, you know, they, they hold 25% of production in the world. You know, China has 17% it's because we started this whole game. We created this whole thing. And nobody sees that because they, well, in America, because we all live here. And we are all experiencing this. But I'm telling you, everybody out there that is the age of probably, I would say, anywhere from 35 and up, they know the truth before technology and the TV started hypnotizing and they started using all these different types of pesticides, telling you that it's sugar, and that oh yeah, you're, you know why why are you all getting cancer and, the, and cancer ain't being cured because food and drug food lobbyists and drug lobbyists went to Washington D.C. and bought politicians, and now politicians realize that hey, you know what, we can use all these different types of pesticides, um, sugar or pesticidic sugars to mind control. To, like the Romans said, feed and entertain, you can control the masses. That's why they built the Colosseum. That's why they had men fighting bears and men fighting lions. Because, and, and they fed them all while they were there. They, they fed and entertained, you know. And that's all they had to do there. And that for 538 years, they spread their Romanism to the ends of the earth, my friends. And that's the truth. That's the longest running democracy ever. And you know Babylon's right in there, and it, and I've heard I've heard America called the mystery Babylon of the, uh, um, you know the last book in the Bible, you know Revelations, mystery Babylon is America. Google it, research it, get in tuned. They don't want you to be in tune for when, you know, God decides to strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger. They don't want you to be ready for that. They want you to keep on getting high and, you know, breaking laws and acting a fool and not educating yourself so that when the time comes and they have to lay you down, there is no struggle from you because you've now had a sex change. You ain't got that testosterone pumping through your body like you once did. You don't have all those chemicals that make you realize when you're being taken advantage of that your forefathers told you about that was coming when the day that man in America found out that there was money to be made in the White House. Yeah, that's what it all has to do with, friends. And that's the shit that we need to wake up to here and stop playing these games that everything's going to work itself out. Well, everything's going to work itself out and these borders are going to be open. And in 20 years, you're going to have the most, the biggest and most suicide bombers in the world are going to be right here in the U.S. And there are people inside of these prisons in the U.S. that are creating radical Muslims to actually do suicide bombing. It's been a proven fact that they've actually interviewed inmates all across America, and they are rising up by the numbers. Islam is the fastest growing religion in America, and 
it's not going to stop until they, because I mean, the, the Islamic Brotherhood is in every major college in America. They're at Yale, they're at Stanford, they're at Georgetown. They are laying down so much gold that the United States can't say no to it because this is the money production uh, industry. And that's why I'm reading this book to you today because I'm an all-American friend and I see, but I don't agree. The Borgesy cannot exist without constant revolutionizing the instruments of production and thereby the relation of production and with them the whole relation of society. Conservation of the old modes of production in unaltered form was, on the contrary, the first condition of existence for all earlier industrial classes. Constant revolutionizing of production, uninterrupted disturbance of all social conditions, everlasting uncertainty and agitation, discuss, oh, excuse me, <laughs> distinguish the Borgesy epoch from all earlier ones. All fixed, fast frozen relations with, with their train of ancient and vulnerable prejudices and opinions are swept away. All new formed ones become and acquitted before they can ossify. All that is solid melts. All that is solid melts into the air. All that is holy is profaned. The man is at last compelled to face with sober senses his real conditions of life and his relations with his kind. The need of a constantly expanding market for his products chases the Borgesy over the whole surface of the globe. It must nestle everywhere, settle everywhere, establish connections everywhere. The Borgesy has, through its exploitation of the world market, given a cosmopolitan character of production and consumption in every country. To the great charging of reactionist, and it has drawn from under the feet of industry the national ground on which it stood. All old established national industries have been destroyed or are daily being destroyed. They are dislodged by new industries whose introduction becomes a life and death question for all civilized nations by industries that no longer work up to indigenous, excuse me, that no longer work up indigenous raw material, but raw material drawn from the remotest zones, industries whose products are consumed not only at home, but in every quarter of the globe. See, and that was long before McDonald's took off. That was long before Nike took off. That was long before, you know, uh, Samsung took off. You know, these are... I'm telling you, you guys. I mean... Does this not all make sense to you, what's going on here? I mean, I get the idea of this and why they really believed in it, but we know it doesn't work because that's what our government tells us. In place of the old wants, satisfied by the productions of the country, we find new wants, requiring for their satisfaction the products of distant lands and climes. In place of the old local and national seclusion and self-sufficiency, we have intercourse in every direction. Universal interdependence of nations, and that's what we call NATO. One central government, one central bank, and that's what they want. And as immaterial or globalization, excuse me. So, also in intellectual production, the intellectual creations of individual nations become common property. National, see, common, 
common property, communism. Think about it. You gotta you gotta understand these words when they use them. That it's not like common, like oh that's that's common, like it's an everyday thing. No, this is common property. That means they're talking about you know a type of communism. It means you know the intellectual creations of individual nations become common property. So that's their communism property. National one-sidedness and narrow-mindedness become more and more impossible, and from the numerous national and local literatures, there arises a world literature. The bourgeoisie, which is the middle class, by the rapid improvement of all instruments of production, by the immensely facilitated means of communication. Sound familiar, guys? Communication? Communism draws all even the most barbarian nations into civilization. The cheap prices of its commodities, hmm, commodities, communism, hmm, are the heavy artillery with which it batters down all, yeah, right here, this is important, I want to reread all this to you right here. The bourgeoisie, by the rapid improvement of all instruments of production, by the immensely facilitated means of communication, draws all, even the barbarian nations into civilization. The cheap prices of its commodities are the heavy artillery, which and it batters down the Chinese walls with which it forces the barbarians' intensely obstinate hatred of foreigners to catapult. It compels all nations on pain of extinct, ex, yeah, extinct extinction. Sorry, to adopt the Borges mode of production. It compels them to introduce what it calls civilization into their midst. To become Borges themselves. In one word, it creates a world after its own image. The Borgesie has subjected the country to the rule of the towns. It has created enormous cities, has greatly increased the urban population as compared with the rule, and has thus rescued a considerable part of the population from idiocy of rural life and I'm telling you that is so true because I was born in a small town you guys and then finally I'd had enough and I wanted to go see what the city was like so I ran away I, I gave everything I, I owned away or sold it and moved and when I got to the city and I lived there for five years I realized the disconnect and how much I lacked in real like social knowledge of people and how they really treated one another. Here I am, you know, a kind, socialite, outgoing, um, just caring about people. In reality, people are the exact opposites of what, I, of what I am for the most part. Not everybody because of their behavior types. But I can see the disconnect between rural life and then the city. So now when I, I came back to my home area... I realize the people here and the disconnect that they have too. And they've been here forever and never ventured out and lived anywhere else. So they don't know how the real society works and they're upset. That's why we have so many upset voters in America or let's say in Illinois. They want to blame it all on Chicago. No, Chicago is actually one of the normal places, unfortunately. You guys out here in the sticks, you haven't really socialize yourself with how people really live and how things really work. You're out here still living how great-grandma and great-grandpa lived, who actually was born in 1899, you know? And that's not going to suffice. 
with a modern industry country where we're constantly evolving and all we care about is innovation and doing something big and new and robot and, you know, teleporting and telepathy and it's wild, you guys, and it really is. And I know you guys all know and understand what I'm talking about. And see now the board to see the middle class they're saying will tear down the Chinese walls and they have think about it you know then people were around for thousands and thousands of years as you know I mean obviously they had an emperor emperor at one point but you know they've been communists for a long time and to have you know an industry jump up overnight that's actually created pathways for ships and cargo carriers and all this other business and then all of a sudden. These countries are left behind because we were shelling out all this stuff to our people first and realized that, man, our people love all this industry. Our people love cars. Our people love all this new innovation. You know, oh, Bluetooth, everything, yes. But none of it works. So anyways, back to the book. <laughs> um, the Borgesy keeps more and more doing away with the, with the scattered state of the population, of the means of production, and of property. It has... Agro, I wanted to say this too, I want to, sorry, you know, when it was saying about the disconnect between like, you know, rural life and city life, I mean, look, look around the whole entire globe, you guys, look at the housing market everywhere you go, that was started right here in the United States, remember that big old housing market burst, the whole world learned something from the United States when our housing market collapsed in 2008, because... We are the biggest economy in the whole world, and we we made everybody else start selling their houses for a hundred thousand. You know, in Nigeria, where there are no jobs to be able to pay a mortgage that's a hundred thousand, you got to flat ass out have cash for that, Jack. And you know, where I can remember is a eighteen, nineteen, or a twenty year old. I remember researching um, how much property costed? I can't remember. It was somewhere in South America. I want to say Venezuela or Chile or something, because I had seen a house there that had pearl or not pearl, uh, marble floors and granite ceilings and stuff. And they wanted uh, twenty thousand dollars for this mansion. I couldn't believe it. I thought I could come up with that overnight. Well, you know what? I wasn't the only one at that time thinking that. And there was dudes my age that were actually doing that then. I had no idea. Well, I lost out. And now those guys are billionaires in America because, uh, you know, there's a billion, there's, I think, um, 20 billionaires born in America every year now or something like that. I, maybe I'm wrong, but I know there's like a thousand five hundred millionaires born every year here, you know, or, or not born, but I mean, you know, they're self-made millionaires and it takes them that long. But it, anyways, back to the book. Sorry for interrupting y'all and has concentrated property in a few hands. The necessary consequence of this was political centralization, independent or, or but loosely connected provinces with separate interests, laws, governments, and systems of taxation became lumped together in one nation with one government, one code of laws, one national class interest, one frontier, and one customs tariff. The Borgesy, during its rule of scarce 100 years has created more massive and more colossal productive forces than have all preceding generations together so to these guys over there in italy and germany they were alarmed at how big we got how fast we got how powerful we got with our industries 
But there was people over here that knew that this was the road to be the military strong arm of the world and that, that we would be able to protect ourselves against anything, even a nuclear attack. I mean, if they do do a nuclear attack here, there is nothing to be scared of, friends. And I mean that. We spend $600 billion a year on our military. Next closest to us is Russia. They spend 125 no. They spend $250 billion. And then China spends $125 billion. And then you guess what? Guess who's number four? And that's North Korea. They come in at a, at a stacking $4 billion a year on their military. There is no... Not even China and Russia combined could stop the United States and all the technology that we harbor here. We have, you know, when Trump was in office, he, he had a parade of our military and everybody's like, oh, these are all from 1980, all these vehicles. You guys, this gentleman that was in office, you know, they, the art of the deal was written. That book, you know, the, you know, about Donald Trump because, you know, he knows everything he's saying. When, like with his taxes that recently came out, he was like, yeah, a lot of people are going to be hurt about these taxes. Not a lot of people that are going to be in, you know, his network of people, but it's going to be the ones that are witch hunting him to death. And they're going to find out that, you know, this gentleman actually filed bankruptcy four times. He knows how to get his taxes in order, people. I don't care how much of a loudmouth idiot the son of a bitch is. The motherfucker's intelligent, and I mean that. He's not some dumb shit to just all, because he's he sits there and spews some shit on national TV or on Twitter. Dude, he's fluffing your asses all the way to the bank, and nobody's catching on to it but somebody that has a similar personality or behavior type as Donald Trump, and that's the truth. Thank you guys for listening. I'm doing the uh, Communist Manifesto today because I feel like a lot of this has to do with what's going on in today's society. We see then the means of production and of exchange on whose foundation the bourgeoisie built itself up were generated in feudal society. At a certain stage in the development of these means of production and of exchange, the conditions under which feudal society produced and exchanged the feudal organization of agriculture and manufacturing industry. In one word, the feudal relations of property became no longer com oh, excuse me, no longer compatible with the already developed productive forces. They became so many Yeah, they became so many fetters. They had to be burst asunder. They were burst asunder into their place step free co uh, competition accompanied by a social and political constitution adapted to it and by the e economical and political sway of the borgias class a similar movement is going on before our own eyes modern borgias society with its relations of production of exchange and of property a society that has conjured up such gigantic means of production and of exchange is like the sorcerer who is no longer able to control the powers of the nether world whom he has called up by his spells for many a decade past the history of industry and comments is but the history of the revolt of modern productive forces against modern conditions of production against the property relations that are the conditions for the existence of the borgesy and of its rule 
it is enough to mention the commercial crisis that by their periodical return, but on its trial, each time more threateningly, the existence of the entire Borgia society. In these, in these crises, a great part not only of the existing products, but also of the previously created productive forces are periodically destroyed. In these crises, there breaks out an epidemic that in all earlier epochs would have seemed an absurdity, the epidemic of overproduction. And that's what I thought, too. Even when, when Trump was in office, I, I kept thinking to myself, how much more of a ceiling can the market have? And then when I seen what happened with Bitcoin and how high it got, that was unreal. But it's, it, it, I mean, I, I just kept thinking, how much more could we, we produce? And these crises, a great part not only of the existing products, but also the previously created productive forces are periodically destroyed. In these crises, there breaks out an epidemic that in earlier epochs would have seemed an absurdity to the epidemic of overproduction. Society suddenly finds itself put back into a state of momentary, momentary bipartisanism. Excuse me, momentary barbicism, so barbaric ways. It appears as if a feminine, a universal war of devastation had cut off the supply of every means of substance, industry, and commerce seemed to be destroyed. And why? Because there was too much civilization, too much means of substance, too much industry, too much commerce, the productive forces at the disposal of society no longer tend to further the development of the condition of Borges' property. On the contrary, they have become too powerful for these conditions by which they are fettered, and so soon as they overcome these fetters, they bring disorder into the whole of the Borges' society, endanger the existence of the Borges' property. Is that not going on right here in America right now? Do you not see how we're at, how everybody that is 35 and up is like, hey, what's going on here? Why are we doing all this stuff now? Why is the government going wild, you know? Why are, you know, because they thought by letting Trump get into office that he was going to, they were going to make him look like such a fool. And that in reality, you know, there has been some great presidents up until like 1995. Until then, I think Donald Trump's been the only one that's actually been legitimately a good president. In my eyes, I mean, look at all the balls that have been dropped to society. Um, you know, Katrina. You know, look at uh, all the different devastations around the country that have been, um, you know, an issue since um, 19 around 1995 is when I really noticed the changes. You know, and how all of a sudden we started taking marching stride to globalization and opening our borders. And then you started hearing about how we've sold off all of our national parks to all these other foreign countries who we're indebted to. And I mean, Bill Clinton balanced the budget, I think, to like one, uh, $15 billion. We're at $16 trillion since he uh, left office. So he did that for a reason. Because... He wanted us to be okay with what was coming. And he knew what was coming because it was developed long before he ever took office. He just decided to go with that party 
that was going to lead all of us astray. And my parents being huge, huge fans of his. And I was too for a long time until 30 years later and I seen the devastation that he caused all the families from all the terrible laws that he passed, you know, about child support, you know, Megan's Law. And there's a lot of other presidents that have done just as many different things, you know. I mean, look at uh, even like marijuana being legalized here. Man, what is going on? I get it, but I don't know. And I don't get it with that stuff because, I mean... That is another way of control for the government is by allowing a psychotropic medication that causes depression to enter every single person's mind in America, which, I mean, yeah, everybody they said was out there smoking pot at some time. I get it. But, I mean, now it's on every street corner and it's legal and everybody's doing it. I don't get it anymore. I mean, it came out as it was medically... Um, you know, appropriate, but it's not. The conditions of the Borges Society are too narrow to compromise the wealth created by them. And how does the Borgesy get over these crises? On the one hand, enforce destruction of a mass of productive forces. On the other, by the conquest of new markets, or by COVID, and by the more thorough exploitation of the old ones. Mm-hmm. That is to say, by paving the way for more extensive and more destructive crises and by dimin uh, diminishing the means whereby crises are prevented. The weapons with which the Borgesy uh, felled feudalisms to the ground are now turned against the Borgesy itself, but... Not only has the Borgesy forged the weapons that bring death to itself, it has also called into existence the men who are to wield those weapons, the modern working class, the proletarians. In portion as the Borgesy capital is developed, in the same proportion is the proletariat, the modern working class, developed a class of laborers who live only so long as they find work, and who find work only so long as their labor increases capital. And that's why in America we say we live paycheck to paycheck. That's another wonderful communism thing. That's what I believe. These laborers who must sell themselves piecemeal are a commodity. Like every other article of commerce, and are consequently exposed to all the vicissitudes, which that's the ups and downs, good and bad of life, of competition, to all the fluctuations of the market. Owing to the extensive use of machinery and to division of labor, the work of the proletarians has lost all individual character and consequently all charm for the workman. He becomes an appendage of the machine, and it is only the most simple, simple, most monotonous, and most easily acquired knack that is required of him. So, in our country, we have another wonderful part of um, um, socialism, which is um, Horse Man, which he was sent by the U.S. government to Germany to study their educational system because... 
Germany had developed this um, educational system by ways of mind control. And they realized by telling people, hey, you got to get educated, was a way that they could get them to punch in, punch out to a time clock and keep them chained to that machine. Just like he's saying right here in uh, this part of the book, um, the most simple, most monotonous and most easily acquired knack that is required of him. Hence, the cost of production of a workman is restricted almost entirely to the means of substance that he requires for his maintenance and for the uh, propagation of his race. But the price, and they put that in there also because of the Germans, and I do believe that, but the price of a commodity and therefore also of labor is equal to its cost of production. In proportion, therefore, as the repulsiveness of the work increases, the wage decreases. Nay more, in proportion as the use of machinery and division of labor increases, in the same proportion the burden of toil also increases, whether by prolongation of the working hours, hey, 12-hour days, I know that, by increase of the work exacted in a given time or by increased speed of the machinery. And, you know, now with we have literally innovated production so much now that we're taking all jobs away from people. At some point in the next 20 years, we will have created every single thing and there will be no reason to have but one person, like I said earlier, chained to that machine and industries will be that were once, you know, full and full of people will be desolate ghost towns of one or two, three, four, five employees because automation has now replaced the human hand. Modern industry has converted the little workshop of the patriarchal masters into the great factory of the industrial capitalists. Masses of laborers crowded into the factory are organized like soldiers. See there? And that's why they also, you know, even, even prison systems. Prison systems are organized around the army, around the government. You get up in the morning, your CO comes and does count. You make your bed if it ain't med. Or if your bed, excuse me, if your bed ain't made, you know, you get written up or whatever, you know. Or there's some kind of um, punishment. As privates of the industrial army, they are placed under the calm command of a perfect hierarchy of officers and sergeants. Not only are they slaves of the Borgias class and of the Borgias state, they are daily and hourly enslaved by the machine, by the overlooker, and above all, by the individual Borgias manufacturer himself. The more openly this despotism proclaims gain to be its end and aim the more petty, the more hateful, and the more embittering it is. The less the skill and exertion of strength implied in manual labor, in other words, the more modern industry becomes developed, the more is the labor of men superseded by that of women. Yeah, but that's not true anymore in America. Now, they've also learned that they can capitalize on women because now women's the mentality of the man and the woman has literally switched, and that's what the government wanted. Because in the Bible, who was the woman, who was, who was it that was, uh, you know, uh, so easily misled by the snake? You know, come on, people. These, these changing of gender roles 
Like I've told you in another podcast about gender, and that's in the Kabayan, my, my podcast on the Kabayan. Gender plays a part in everything. When the government can infiltrate a woman's mind easier than a man's, Oh, believe me, we're going to find ways to infiltrate that man with that woman because all a man thinks about is sex. Oh, oh we can capitalize on that. Looky here, we got a sex offender registry. We got a, you know, so we can put him away when he acts up and does things that we don't like because there's people on that registry that don't even belong on it that are, you know, they, there's people on there that are drug dealers because an 18-year-old kid got ripped off by a 17-year-old in Florida and he went over to her house and beat the hell out of her and took all of her drugs. Now he's a registered sex offender. And that's the problem in this country is that we don't revisit laws. There should be a law in place for a set amount of time and then there should be a committee that looks into what it's done to our society. But they don't do that here because that would impose upon them more work. And all they want here is to be paid because it's a modern industry country. And I find that to be the truth. And uh, the, excuse me, the less the skill and exertion of strength implied in manual labor, in other words, the more modern industry becomes developed, the more is the labor of men superseded by that of women. Difference, differences of age and sex have a have no longer any distinctive social validity for the working class. All are instruments of labor, more or less expensive to use according to their age and sex. And that's the truth. And now I will say something great about the U.S. That's why they have human rights departments that, you know, when an employer decides to, you know, rescind employment because you're 41 years old and there's a 25-year-old that has a bachelor's degree and he applied too, well, I think we're going to go with this 25-year-old because you're just a little out of shape, you know, or whatever they decide that is uh, um, adequate at the time to get you out of there to get somebody in that they think will do the job better, honestly. And it's not true because, I mean, with age, you learn so much more with age. I mean, if you're 40 and you don't know how the world works, man... Just do me a favor and go slap yourself, seriously. And I'm not even playing anymore because I'm watching these dudes out there act like psychopaths running around, you know, not caring about anything about our social situations. And they're still all uh, judging people because there's four of them and one of you. But in reality, in social situations, all one person has to do is say, oh, there's a problem. And then everybody's like, oh, yeah, there's a problem. No, there was never a problem until one of you assholes decided that it was a problem. And that's the problem I got with people is that once somebody don't like you, all they got to do is go talk to one other person. And if that person ever had any type of feeling or disconnect about you, or if they like the person that's not liking you, that's two against one. And then it becomes a disease upon your workplace. And then all of a sudden there's six people that don't like you. And then there's eight people. And then when you don't change your behaviors and you continue having true grit in their faces, they can't handle it. They don't know what's wrong with you. You're a lunatic, you know, or at that point, even HR companies will be like, Oh, you're difficult. You're being difficult. No, I'm not being difficult. I'm actually intelligent and I'm aware of the social situation that you've created inside of here and, and that your company has allowed. And that's the problems people have is they don't step back and see social situations um, 
And I, I pay attention to the first paragraph you say to me when I meet you because it tells me every single card you hold in your hand and every discrepancy that you have against me and that's later going to cause me a problem with you because words tell me everything that you're thinking because words are powerful and words are spells and words can be cast as curses and that shit's true. And don't think that it's not because we're living in a spiritual realm right now where we're getting to a level that things will get shaky for a while real soon. I mean, listen here. This guy wrote this a long time ago and he's telling you about it in this book, you know, about how it's all going to play out. And it's already playing out for us here. No sooner is the exploitation of the laborer by the manufacturer so far at an end that he receives his wages in cash then he is set upon by other portions of the Borgesy, the landlord, the shopkeeper, the pawnbroker, etc. The lower strata of the middle class, the small tradespeople, shopkeepers, retired tradesmen, generally the handicraftsmen and pleasants, all these sink gradually into the proletariat, uh, partly because their diminutive capital does not suffice for the scale on which modern industry is carried on and is swamped in the uh, competition with the large capitalists, partly because their specialized skill is rendered worthless by the new methods of production. And that's where we're getting to with automation right now. Because people's, you know, there's still guys out there that think if they work harder, they're going to make more money. Well, it's definitely not true, son. Don't not work harder. Do not be stupid. Because that's why people are quietly quitting, quietly walking away, because they're sick of all the corporations, sick of all the franchises. We're getting, like, beat down by all these, you know, pesticidal sugars that are out there and energy drinks, diet Pepsi, uh, diet, diet products, period, man. They're all over the place. I mean... Research that word on the back of that Diet Coke can, that P-R, I can't remember, it's such a long word, but it's like, it'll tell you right away on Google, causes cancer is the first thing it says, and everybody drinking diet products, it's pesticides, I'm not stupid, I've done the research, and I mean, you can do the research too, and a lot of times that those sugars were actually founded by scientists that were creating, I think the first one, uh, first one of those pesticides was um, founded in 1897, um, I think it's saccharin, and the guy went outside to smoke a cigarette and wound up having saccharin on his uh, finger, and they were trying to produce, um, I want to say, I want to say a, um, a stomach um, pill or something, some kind of stomach drug, but it wound up being uh, the first pesticidal sugar they ever came up with. Thank you guys for listening. This is the Only You Podcast, and I hope that... Um, me doing this book didn't offend anybody. This is my own opinions. These aren't, not everything on here is just dead set facts. You know, I'm doing this live, um, but it was something that I really wanted to share with you because it was just mind blowing to me. And if you go out there and check this book out and read it, you'll understand what's really seriously going on right now in America and why you feel the way you do and why the government's struggling the way it is is because they're trying to get us to turn in a different direction because they feel that the democracy the democracy here needs to change or needs to um, uh, innovate for some reason. Thanks again. It's your boy Lo Jackson with the Only You Podcast.